Okay, so welcome everybody to the next episode of ID Podcast. Um, here back in the year 2020. I hope you all had a nice Christmas and a nice turn into the new year. I'm here today, uh, joined by Adam Doyle and by Stephen Armstrong. So welcome, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, good. good, Thank you. All good. Um, did you have a Did you have a nice Christmas? Uh, What did you do? Anything special for for the turn of the year? Um, bit of work, a little bit more work. (laughs) Uh, no, it was good. Uh, home with the family, um, and just sort of chilled, oh, ready right. for ready for ice this oh, year. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, same oh. family. Uh, no work. Actually, had it off for the first time oh, in quite nice. a while. Um, just basically spend my day splitting up my two children. So yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Uh, I mean, uh, I think we spoke about it last time, right? So, so I hope. Uh, your uh your wife took your took your card away from you so you couldn't gamble your 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 10 quid uh, <laughs> to, to be honest i i think it's probably been about three four months since i've actually had any sort of bet obviously take away the national lottery which feeds into our credit card ban and stuff like that which is acceptable oh, nice um, nice plug. but yeah no i think other than the the national lottery i can't actually remember the last time i i, I gambled online um euro millions or, or or anything specific that you like obviously like all of us if the jackpot's only about three four million i'm not interested but once it gets <laughs> once it gets into double figures it seems to you know you have to you have to gamble yeah on. it seems to polarize uh, <clears throat> well i mean uh, i guess we've were you know we've all been busy with family time which is which is quite nice and uh and i guess you know the contrast to uh to being on it say you know 24 7 but you know we've got uh, the next event, uh, you know, coming up just now next week. Um, I think when this podcast has been released, or the first snippets, it will be in the week of eyes, okay. uh, which w- uh, which will be quite nice and kind of like an add on to to the content that's being shared at Icevox. So, um, I mean, for for any kind of, uh, I guess anyone who ever worked in the gambling industry and, and payments, I think Ice is like kind of now the go-to uh you know industry event, and also it's for free. So definitely. it's it's a uh, it, you know you definitely get more a lot more value for money than yeah. than than anywhere else i would suppose and obviously you know the team from from clarion have been doing you know some great work around it um around some kind of you know responsible gambling uh, they always have very interesting guests there so i'll i'll definitely recommend that to to anyone I think, I think one of the good things i think it's the third year uh ice have done the consumer protection zone which is i think it's for the top four or five operators are putting money aside and that money is helping the uh people who deal with responsible gaming anything that can help around affordability is also uh, uh supporting uh, gambling addiction i think they've got a zone there which uh, ourselves were actually there so i think it's a it's great initiative to have okay so uh, and i think uh, obviously a lot a lot has happened in the past few weeks uh you know not just within the kind of you know uk gc regulations a lot has happened you know throughout europe but let's just start maybe with the most obvious one which is with the uk you know gc saying from the 14th of april on and there should be no more gambling with credit cards um so uh, and i mean obviously there, there's some simple questions i guess would which will then kind of evolve into more uh complex um kind of answers but what do you think the impact of that is for 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 the uk gambling market um i guess it's a tricky one um you know a lot of operators didn't necessarily agree that this is the problem solver you know it's not going to solve the problem of you know problem gambling um will it help it i think that, that there's pluses in a sense that i mean just look at the, the way the credit card companies treat 
gambling and the charges that come with it and the interest. I mean, that 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 is the problem, I guess, in terms of what we're trying to eradicate is the fact that someone's spending that on a online um, transaction with a gambling operator. Obviously, you know, they get charged like it's cash, I believe. So, mm-hmm. you know, from that angle, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a real positive. But, but is that going to stop a problem gambler going into other methods of payment? And then how do we protect them? You know, from an operator's review, how do we then protect that method? Yeah, I mean, you know, I just wanted to say, I mean, where how, do we stop? I mean, how do you protect people, you know, paying into their PayPal accounts with yep. their credit cards yep. and then depositing that yep. money on the... And it comes back to uh, that big point of of operators not being able to have necessarily the information that a PayPal or a bank, you know, a Barclay card, they don't share that to the level they might share that between banks, etc. Mm-hmm. So for us, we're already at a disadvantage as an operator. Um, but, you know, when we when this first consultation come out, we looked at it from a, a from an affordability perspective as well. You know, if you put them two hand in hand, credit cards are generally taken in a sense that there's an affordability limit to it because it's judged on what you're doing for yeah. you know your your occupation, your your lifestyle, etc. And 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 you know how often you might use it, clear it, etc. Mm-hmm. All adds up to like a a limit for someone. So you know, there, there's positives and there's I would say there's difficulties. You know, is it just going to push it to you know other wallets and then are we then going to start blocking all of the rest mm-hmm. um and from a cost perspective it's it's more expensive to you know they won't probably thank me for saying it but you know it's more expensive to to for, for like paypal fees for example you know than it is for you know t- taking it off a credit card so um you know it's coming we're prepared for it it's just you know we can't see the impact until really yeah, of course and i think the same what steve says there's there's so many pros and cons that you can look at it um <clears throat> i i do think and again from the side where i work but also from gambling or lack of gambling lately um i think something like that did have to come in to stop people having instant lines of credit um where you can look at the sort of the 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 cons are people these days actually do purchase online with credit cards and a lot of that can be around the sort of their people are scared to buy online on their debit cards because if something is a dodgy site or a dodgy purchase you've lost your money whereas if you do it on a credit card you're actually covered from there so you do have stuff and one of the things and i think i mentioned it last time we had the conversation one thing we're not very good in the gambling industry is sticking up for ourselves. Uh, people do use credit cards and have addictions and rack up a lot of debt. But it's not just in the gambling industry. Look at people around sort of uh, shopping. I've got friends whose you know, partners have actually racked up a hell of a lot of money from shopping. And it is from the credit card. So it's not just gambling. You know, that addiction can be used across multiple different verticals. So the, the, I suppose some of the things which I've, from, from my background, that I've looked at is that... Um, and Steve, you'll be able to sort of jump in with this one. Cheers, mate. Operators, <laughs> operators have actually used uh, credit cards as a form of verification previously. Yeah, in the so, past, yeah. So f- for me, when you have that type of stuff, you know, the 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 point has always been, well, you have to be 18 to get a credit card. My understanding is that's not with all credit cards. But the other thing is by doing that, to have a credit card, that doesn't prove that it's, it's my credit card. I could be using your credit card. And I know you can say that about different things. So I've always been on that side. I'm like, mm, you know, so I think it's going to be, there's probably going to be, and again, you'll be able to add more. I think there's probably about 30% of more usage that they'll have to do the verification check. So one, how does that affect the type of the operators? And two, does this mean that historic verifications, is there going to have to be a back, 
backlog of people that have been verified from the credit card side of stuff? No, I think that, I mean, back in the day, people may have used the credit card in order to verify customers. I mean, certainly not something that we have used, you know, in the recent times, you know, the last few years. Um, so is that just William Hill or is that operators in general? No, I think operators in general, I think purely on the basis of, like you say, you know, you know, could it be, is it their credit card? You know, th th there's a lot of um, information we don't have as operators that we would like that would make our lives a whole lot easier. So without their information, obviously, depending on your risk appetite, you know, me personally, I wouldn't assume that whoever's using that credit card is over the age just because it's a credit card, you yeah. know, um, regardless of, you know, so I think that's sort of flushed out a little bit. Um, but... You know, that risk of someone using someone else's card doesn't just cover credit cards. That could be debit cards as yep. well. That, that, that's a different risk, I'd say. Yep. And and I think, you know, with this credit card ban, where do we go next? You know, how are we aware of if someone's got an overdraft? How are we aware if they've taken a loan? You know, unless we have that information, then it's pretty difficult <clears throat> for the operators to be in control of that. You know, there's a lot of operators now saying, well, let us be at the table with the financial institutions because if we're not, we're at a disadvantage instantly. Yeah. You know, you take anyone who, you know, has been sanctioned or has had trouble in the past, you know, across the gambling industry, the funds have still come to us via a bank at some point. You know, it's not just magically appeared in a gaming account. It, mm. You know, even if it's gone for our wallet, it's a bank. So at what point are we going to share that responsibility? At what I point think... are we going to become, you know, united? And we're regulated as well. You know, we're under the same... AML regulation that banks are, you know. And also, I think, uh, I think on top of that, and and, uh, and this is a very valid point, and very, again, from a financial services side, the new regulations with overdrafts, because if you look at the draft uh, um, on the cost of overdrafts yeah. right now, they've just skyrocketed. Yeah, like, up to like forty percent. Uh, yes, it? correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in some cases, over fifty percent with, uh, with some of the banks. Cards, then, yeah. So. So then are we kind of exposing people to using their overdrafts yeah. because they can't use their credit cards anymore? I think or, or how? Uh, and I, I know, again, it's kind of like, a, know, really. I like, guess a, like an egg and chicken yeah, question. It I is, guess, isn't it? You know? It's a case of seeing how, you know, you'd expect as an operator, would you expect to see wallets, you know, the cost of wallets? Or will then people simply, you know, they might just, use their debit card to get to to fund their gaming account but actually then use their credit card to pay their bills yeah. you, we, we, you, just you haven't built up a but the problem is we can't see that yeah. and that's what the industry's saying is let us see that information because then we'll be able to be more educated on what the answer can be and that's the last time when we talked about responsible gaming and stuff like that it all comes down to the, the likes of being an insight lender people always say and politicians are there and they pull together their information wherever they get it and they're very much like why can't a gambling operator do what a mortgage company does or a loan company, well, they can't access that information because they're not an insight lender. Yeah. Uh, so whether which this is comes, bonkers in my opinion. Yeah, which, I mean, I said, or, or, yeah. or, or we said last time, I mean, why why shouldn't the data, I mean, even anonymized be available? How many, an example, cars on finance have that person got? How, how many yeah. uh, loans have they got over over which period of time have they been paying back and stuff? I mean, I mean it would make, in my opinion, and I said it many times, like, you know, Stephen's job so much easier Oh, it's a to, quick, to, to it's put, a quick win. It's a quick win. There's you know, there's so much stuff out there. There, there's a lot of good things, and you've probably seen a lot, Steve. Where there's a lot of things around the open banking, and they can look about that, and they can look about disposable funds. But uh, uh, some of those things can be 
you know, to implement it and to make it into the customer journey so it's a seamless journey because some customers won't take it up. But having access to that sort of information, which FCA uh, regulated businesses do, it can be a decision like that. You know, now you can get a loan or a mortgage and you can find yes or no within 60 seconds. The gambling industry had access to that. It'd be the same thing. They'd be able to make the decisions like that. There would still be different things that you guys would have to do, but it'd, it would uh, it'd be a quick win and it would make a, a, a lot of early um, sort of 50-50 decisions. Yeah, I think the difficulty is is that <coughs> when we talk upon, I'm probably digressing from credit card ban, but when we talk upon someone's available funds, you know, when they walk, when you know, I walk into a pub and and buy, you know, however many beers I might buy, or or, or buy a round of drinks. I'm not being questioned yeah. in a sense of, you know, can I afford that? And I think that there becomes a point where, you know, how how far can we go to get the right answer? Or are we just always going to get the wrong answer? Because, you know, the, as much as you know these aspects and these approaches, you know, credit card bans all help the bigger calls. Are we then just avoiding the fact that, you know, what the issue is? You know, the issue isn't with responsible gambling, isn't credit cards. That's not the issue here. So are we then taking the focus away from actually what the issue is? And the fact that when you look at affordability and, and that kind of stuff, you're you're effectively, as an operator, we're using every ounce of information that is available to us. And that's all we can do, you know, and... If people, you know, customers, for example, aren't open about that, then there's only so much, so so far you can go. Um, but, I, you know, like you say, with the 60 second loan stuff and that, of course, you know, that would be ideal for, uh, you know, but it would also, would you also be moving away from something that is uh, a pastime fun? You know, gambling is, is meant to be, you know, entertainment, a bit of fun. It's not, you know, are we moving away from that by creating it into like a financial product? I suppose you know? your point is with the with the credit card businesses, they do have access to the sort of insight lender stuff. So if someone's got a credit card and they've got a limit of £1,200 for the year, they've been judged on the information that these businesses do have. Yep. So you have to take that fact is, if he can gamble £1,200, he can yep. gamble on £1,200 because they've made the affordability check but if on you look at, guys. But then I guess you look at it, the other side is... is you know, if say like your banks now, you know, a lot of the banks offer these products where you have, um, you know, your bills either coming out of a different pot or, you know, take Monzo, for example, you've got the, the pots where you can pay your bills out, etc. I, I honestly believe that we're never going to solve this problem as operators by ourselves because the banks are the only ones who can see. So so if if at the start of every month I get paid, you know, X amount of money and my bank can see what my mortgage is and what my, you know, my council taxes and all my bills are. And at the end of that month, there's an amount of money and I'm spending more than that amount of money. At what point do we say, well, where's their responsibility as well? I feel it needs to be combined. Yeah. I can't, you know, we can't do it by ourselves. You know, they can see it. If, if you know, Steve Armstrong earns a thousand pound and he's outgoing to 980 pounds, but I'm spending 500 pound on gambling. My bank's the only one who can see that. So do you think, <clears throat> I mean, you know, because again, I, I think within gambling, we've got, you know, great initiatives, you know, be it like, a, you know, responsible gambling week, uh, uh, you know, be like, a, you know, social responsibility where obviously, you know, money gets, you know, fed back into certain parts of, uh, you know, communities, etc. So do you think those kind of things, like let's say like responsible gambling should then be kind of be extended into maybe 
responsible spending uh, across the financial mm. services sector to to make it worthwhile because in in enough today you can you you can put so much pressure on one field but there is other certain fields that are obviously involved in in in, in that as well and it's lifestyle yeah. isn't it yeah. it's, it's people's lifestyles and i feel like if you haven't got all that information in front of you then there's always going to be times where us as operators are criticized for making maybe you know in different calls that someone else might have thought something else so for me you know the easiest solution is is for these banks and 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 you know we've been lobbying it from the um, GMLG. We've been lobbying it for for years around it, trying to get into Parliament in order for them to say let us have that same you know same level of standard. We, we're being held to account, so let us join the table, and, and and we just can't get in. So you know if we can't do it, then they've got to because yeah. otherwise mm-hmm. you know all of these initiatives are great and they will remove small parts of it but they're never going to solve the problem because we don't have the full information um and then you know with the affordability piece coming you know it's understanding you know affordability against for example aml they're two very different things they they are two very different things one may leading to the other but they are two very different things and without you know all of the data and all of the information we have that available then are we ever going to be able to get it totally right in my opinion we would never get it totally right unless we have everything to, i don't think <clears throat> in any walks of life no one gets anything right i think the, the gambling businesses do get picked on a lot but the, there's a lot of things you know whether it's shopping whether you know you, you'll go to certain areas where we all knew before you were 18 you knew bars and all that that you could go to and you get served you know there is it's never going to get perfect um, so it's You're telling me you use fake IDs. No, Adam. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> never did. <laughs> never did. Um, but you, you know, you just have to. From the, the ten plus years that I've been in the industry, the leaps and bounds that you see every year is it, changing dramatically. And you've obviously came from the finance sector to the game, and you've seen it. What has it been about six, seven years that you've been in this industry? Oh, you're writing me off. You're writing my years off. <laughs> now it's, it's it's sort of five years, but I've seen it. You know, it, 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 we're catching up rapidly. You know, they're not moving away from us. We're catching up rapidly as an industry. Um, and I think we do deserve credit for that. It's not going to be an overnight fix. I feel like the, the initiatives across the industry, not just, you know, talking of William Hill and the investments and, the, you know, the, the Nobody Harm campaign and all mm-hmm. stuff like that, that, that we do, you know, across the industry wide, there, there's a whole new education piece. Um, and it's not going to be solved overnight because it's, a, it, you know, these financial services have had this in their culture for years you know tens of years you know it's not going to be something that you know there's a a magic solution so i think i think they're good initiatives you know when no one's arguing against it with you know what the impact will be i don't believe anyone truly knows on on something like credit card until we're there living it and we're seeing the stats the other end um but you know along the way it will help yeah. it will help people which is ultimately what we all want to do so i think it's it's a mixture it's a mixture of data that is being used by other markets being allowed accessible to gambling businesses i think business like ours where we're sort of they're dealing in sort of the, the fintech the reg tech market things that we can bring to the table to try and help support operators the, at the end of the day it's all about trying to automate the journey as much as possible but aligning with regulation so as steve said over the years it is getting better and better and better and you know i i genuinely think it'll get to a point where <clears throat> we will overtake the financial market you know they they do look at a lot of stuff which are the uh, archaic ways of how they do it they do with a manual very manual process i mean 
I mean, I think I mean from my perspective, from from um, and I was talking to this with with my uh, with my fiance the other day, and she actually, you know, as as you would expect, she she is obviously isn't into the topic, and she has no no clue when it comes to the details and stuff. And you know, we're just a little bit talking about it, and I explained what the differences is between opening a bank account and opening a gaming account, and what checks are being performed, you know, what what companies are doing, and she said to me, "That's absolutely ridiculous, like that." You know, gaming. You know, companies do so many more checks and so many more. You know, I think I saw uh, I saw an advert on LinkedIn, and I I, I can't even remember who he was from. And <clears throat> they filmed it, and a, a lady went to the. I think it was in a coffee shop, and she asked for a coffee, and they started asking her exactly the same questions that you get asked in the gambling industry or a gambling website. And this one was just sort of like, you know, what what's happening here? And it is. It's you know the comparisons are ma- massively different. I think if done right, it makes people like my sales jobs a lot easier. Yeah. If it's done right, you know, uh, knowing who your customer is from an early stage is is key to any any customer journey. You know, um, but it's doing it right and it's being consistent. You know, what I would like to see across the industry is more, um, I guess, a bit more openness in a sense of you know. I think we're past that day of customers being stolen from each other. You know, you know, it, people will look for the best price on certain people might bet with a certain operator for horse racing. Yeah, and as we said, now it's a gig economy, right? Yeah, so, you know, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, for me, we can, as an industry, start selling it better. You know, we all do it. And this is the, and this is the big thing, I think, is, is, is off the miss. None of us don't do this stuff. The problem is we don't shout about it. Yeah. And the moment the operators start being a little bit more aggressive, start good. News, it's good news compliance. If 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 you're only ever responding to bad news compliance, you're going to look bad. Yeah. And and for me, it's about changing that message and actually showing. Look at the investment. Look at the people that work in there. You know the headcounts that now exist, the technology advancements, mm. and actually selling that and saying, but hang on, you know, yeah. You know, stuff may have gone wrong in the past, or and stuff may still. Just like the banks, are you, are you are you telling me that you know no money laundering goes on in banks I think in this day and age? You know, like, we're, we're we're not blind to that. So, I think because it's, it's it's in the public eye, you know, it's time to start showing and being a bit more open in what we do do to make it sort of a success story rather than always negativity. Yeah, and I think and I think that's exactly and 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 obviously when we did first, you know, when we did the first episode, you know, back in the day, and I said. You know, I want to do something different in terms of to show people that might not be into the gambling industry, but might want to look how it is and stuff like that. And, and I think in the past episodes, we've been talking about affordability, you know, social responsibility, about, you know, many different topics that really go deep into kind of, let's say, you know, cult, uh, of the British culture, because in the after day, I mean, I'm obviously not British, uh, you know, came in here, but obviously the British culture is a lot different to many European countries. Uh, you know, God bless Brexit in three days, but... Um, <laughs> you said we wouldn't talk about that. Yeah, 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 yeah correct. No. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, and uh, and it just shows, like, how much effort's been put. I mean, if you look at the fines that have been, you know, put out in the last, I think, one or two years... All regulatory settlements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. settlements. yeah, yeah settlements, they've all been really for past wrongdoings right but obviously you know since then there is it's it's like anything there are there are a few businesses out there in any vertical that do something wrong and it tarnishes the rest of the industry it's as simple as that you know gambling has been going before times have been documented people will always gamble it's just the nature of 
humans. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's trying to understand that the gambling industry with all the different jurisdictions, whether it's UK, Germany, um, Denmark, Sweden, etc., they've been pulling all these things, which is moving it away from the black markets. You know, if you look at the likes of America, they, you know, by putting regulating different states, it's moving a billion pounds away from a black market to an online market where Big Tony doesn't come around when you don't pay your hundred pound fine and break your legs and things like that. It's it, it's about changes, and these changes will not happen overnight, but things are happening in the right direction. Okay. So, and I mean, let's just, you know, leave the credit card kind of like a little bit behind us. I mean, you know, then again, there's a lot of noise now going on about, you know, VIP, um, how they should be treated or should we rename VIPs to just, I don't know, maybe uh, high spenders uh, or, or whatever it is. So, you know, again, uh, a very, uh, you know, very, uh, I would say, you know, hot topic. So, uh, I mean, you see the announcements, uh, you know, announcements by the UKGC that those working groups um, by operators uh, that are, you know, set out to, you know, discuss between each other, how, how do we deal with these things? You know, can we propose something? Which was right away picked up by the, by the, by our favorite, uh, you know, politicians and newspapers and been absolutely, um, well smashed to pieces saying that you cannot leave something like this to the devils themselves so um i mean again nice nice press coverage but i mean you know again what like what you think how the whole like vip you know changes will will come out i know it's a lot of you know speculation but but how do you think that will be like kind of treated going forward i saw one and you can go into the more detail of what is classes of vip which i think from you guys it's significantly different to what the other operators see but i i saw one which was it was going on about um sort of 80 percent of the deposits were coming from 20 percent of the customers isn't that the old pareto law that is the 80 20 rule you know, 80% comes from 20% of the thing. That's just a standard business thing. So is that any different to what you see? It's difficult. I think, you know, that. I mean, you mentioned it previously in, in the last little topic around about how bad press, you know, it builds. How, you know, if you, if you look at a VIP, regardless of what they're called, and I think this is the key, it doesn't matter if they're called VIPs or high spenders or, you know, the best customers yeah, every yeah. business in the world will have certain customers you know sainsbury's have people that could spend yeah. 500 pound a week on yeah, the weedy shop life. yes they're <laughs> going to make sure that that person gets their groceries and someone who spends 50 quid ain't going to necessarily yeah. get everything on their shop so i mean i i don't believe it's what they're called I, uh, it, it's a culture and it's a learning it, it, you know if if you've got operators out there that aren't having their relationship managers or VIP managers or whatever we call them, you know, educated and, and, and embedded the culture of compliance, AML, et cetera, RG, then of course it's going to fail. Mm. But actually when you look at customers, you know, if someone, for example, might, you know, um, qualify to receive, you know, tickets somewhere or something like that, that's not a encouragement for them to gamble more they don't receive that you don't say oh you know joe blogs if you spend a million pound we will give you this it doesn't work like that mm -hmm. and i think that's the thing. it's not a reward for what they've done so I'd, you're always gonna really it's not about what we call them how we group them who they are it's about ensuring that as an operator you have the right culture embedded in your business because then every customer will be treated the same it doesn't matter if you've got a vip or you've got a non-vip if they hit thresholds if they hit spends if they show signs of problem gambling 
then we'll interact. Or, or sort of, you know, like you said, the VIP teams or the high spender teams. I thought he asked the question. Well, no, I am not know. You got me notes. You're <laughs> helping me for another panel next week. Um, or, or are these teams aligned with the likes of the responsible gaming people? So do they know that, right, we're asking these questions because people are, is the business aligned? Of course. I mean, I'm speaking from my experience from the, the operators I've worked on. It is aligned, you know. You, you know, you. Um, I mean, taking my my time at um, my previous operator, the person I spoke to the most was the head of VRP. I mean, we we did everything together because you know it, it went hand in hand, source of wealth. You know, and and actually, when you look at a lot of operators, you know, in the past, source of wealth, RG may have been seen as compliance elements of an operator it's not i don't believe that's the case anymore i believe that the customer service the customer service staff the um, vip managers or relationship managers or key account managers whatever you call them are the guys as your first line of defense that have to be as educated as your compliance yeah. experts you know and 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 if you go into you know the majority of the industry that is what's happening now it's not about you know oh we'll do this and we'll, you know, let this guy just do, do what he wants. You know, it doesn't happen like that. And and sadly, you said the press, you know, looking at, you know, and calling us the devils, you know, themselves, you know, we're the best people to resolve this because we're the ones who have the knowledge and understand. Yeah. And if you think all we're going to do is send, you know, a load of people in a room who, who, who don't understand this together. That's not how it works. It, you know, we are the people who worked in this and we understand the industry. We understand our customers. Of course we can solve this, but you know, the answer isn't just not to call them VIPs, you know, uh, as a business and, 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 and speaking in an example, William Hill, our, you know, the, there's no, if anything, that having them people who might spend more, would lead to more interactions, not less, because they're hitting more triggers. It's not yeah. about what they're grouped as. It's about your process internally. Um, so for me, you know, are we then saying, you know, we're going to, you cut all bonuses, you cut all, um, you know, sporting events, you cut all, you know, hospitality events, but that's no different to maybe being a, uh, you know, a customer of someone and saying, you know, I buy this, this software and once a year they're going to take me somewhere. That's not, they're not bribing me for that software. Might have had it for ten years. So, but, like you said, it's when you shop, don't you? You spend X amount and you get five pound off or thirty pound <clears throat> off or yeah, I mean, whatever I it is. I think it it can translate to you know. But what I was what I was thinking then when you were telling me that. I mean, surely. So, let's say you've got your high high spenders or whatever you want to call these people, um, and you take them out to a sporting event. I mean, surely that would then mean that you're stopping them from spending the money because they're at a sporting event where then maybe the 4G is not working or whatever, so, so they cannot play with you then at this moment. So it's, it's you know, in, in, in enough today, and, and I mean, as you said, if you're an example... I'm 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 100% sure that if an example Microsoft lands a very big deal with another company uh, I'm sure enough that an example Microsoft would invite that company to just say thank you for the business relationship we had yeah. an example right I think so, it's, I mean the best way to understand your customer is to be face to face so if if you flip this on its head mm. it's not about rewarding customers it's actually about <clears throat> us getting an opportunity to speak to that customer and be able to you know ask questions that you might not be able to do over the phone so actually uh, you know meeting these customers and having an event with these customers actually proves incredibly useful for not just compliance but aml everything because you're able to understand your customer better but also there could be stuff that is said 
you know, over a casual drink or, or something that actually makes you have a flag and say, hang yeah. on, you know, I, I've got experience of, of customers that have, of, um, of relation managers have come back and said, you know, I think we should do X, Y, and Z because, um, you know, something might not add up. And we wouldn't have got that over the telephone or over an email. So for me, there's a positive to it, you know, um, in terms of how we um, get to know our customers. Um, and it's no different, you know, in my eyes to how you would necessarily run a competition on your website. You know, it might not necessarily be the biggest spender that wins, um, but effectively you get chance to understand that customer you get to understand but you, 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 about, you don't have the thing on the website that sits there and say oh spend another 20 grand and we'll take you to a game no, it's not there it's is not it? there no. and, and i think that's the, that that's the key if if for example you're a big spender and you're you know it doesn't mean you can't have a gambling problem and i think <clears> this is what it, it sort of almost the media are implying is that if you're a vip then no checks go on it's actually the reverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually reverse. Yeah, yeah, to get into more, a VIP yeah. program, yeah. you know, certainly where I've worked, you have to go through yeah. more stringent tests. And I mean, by checks. the time you as a company would have spent thousands of pounds on the checks you've done exactly. on that person, Especially, right? so, yeah. you know, when you guys keep putting yeah. prices up and stuff. You know, <laughs> on the other side yeah, of the... No, you had to get that in there, didn't <laughs> I you? I had to do it once. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, you know, when you get to that stage, you know we know more and, and we're going to be doing more yeah. and, and them customers are discuss more, you know, and it, I find it uneasy that as a, as an industry, again, we're focusing on a specific term and not the detail behind that term, because being a VIP doesn't mean you're not protected in a way that, you know, any other customer is. If you've set out your risk model correctly, then actually they would be treated with more interactions because the higher spenders, not the opposite. And I think that's probably mm-hmm. the message we want to get I saw, I saw something that was saying uh, that 8%, there's, there's 47,000 VIPs or something within the UK and 8% of them are classed as um, gamblers. Who's what, what is that? And like I said, I, I'm, I'm not saying either way, but I'm just saying what, what class is a, you know, sort of a, a gambling addiction because it, it, surely it's all relative of what you do. You know, if you earn a million pounds, Losing ten thousand pounds is a hell of a lot easier than if you only. Yeah, but you could still be a. This this is the thing is if you've got a million pounds and you spend ten thousand, you still have a problem. Yes. If previous to that you only ever spent ten pound, and I think that's where there's a big difference around, and this is why I don't necessarily feel affordability sits in the same realm as say RG, for example, is the fact that you've got a million pounds, but for a year you only ever spent one pound, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden on a Monday night you went and dropped ten grand. Yeah, that should be an indicator. Yeah, and I think that's the. It's not about how much these people learn. It, it, it's about their behaviour and, yeah. and and you know and and it, it, you know you look at product, you look at payment methods, you look at all of this stuff is combined to make a a risk score and an assumption of of an individual. Um, we've we've started looking at sort of standard deviations. <clears throat> so we look at a standard deviation that could be two two and a half times more than what the standard thing is. We can also we start looking at times. So one of the things which I've, I'm definitely seeing a pattern of people gambling, obviously more between the hours of like eleven or six. 
you know, that's that's definitely becoming an issue because some people might or AM to to PM, right? Or, or, or yeah, because pe- people yeah. would be like, well, you know, if there's a skeleton staff, there's maybe more that I can do, and if I win, I win. If I don't win, I can go back and say, you shouldn't allow me to do this. I want my money back, or I'll go to the GC. So there's, there's, there is loads, like you said, you've got to look at, you've got to put in so many different policies and procedures, and I think again, it's going back to some of these businesses that are getting the fines. Things are slipping through the cracks because they've not implemented certain policy and procedures of thresholds of, okay, when someone does this or when this happens, how are we going to interact with them? What are we going to do? And I think that's where a lot of the gaps do happen. So, um, well, I mean, essentially, so so it's, you know, a lot of right now that the, there might be a lot of solutions for again for something for nothing problem i would say so so uh, well, i mean obviously if, again you cannot obviously say that for everyone that, that obviously there's a dark horse in 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 every single in every single industry be it you know gambling you know banking be it sports or whatever there's always there's always going to be someone who's going to go against the rules or go against the kind of ethics that the that the leaders you know put out i guess so it's just um obviously like need to prevent that i guess um and then well i guess going forward from from kind of the um, vip to the one of the next uh, bombshells i guess that impacts every operator in the whole of europe is uh, the uh, kind of now indications and being go back and forward since now november is in germany so now essentially obviously um you know schleswig-holstein was one of the well only states that had kind of like a regulated market for for obviously operators to offer their sports book and their online casinos um and now everyone's everyone will be kind of um you know aligning which is which is kind of very interesting um and essentially there's been a lot of things where it kind of you know boggles my mind because on one hand side i think well surely you're putting yourself at a massive uh, you know disadvantage of what you're doing here on on the other hand side is i kind of replicate in a little bit the best bits out of every kind of regulations that there is now um I mean, from from a from a technology perspective, um, um, Adam. I mean, is is the how how can this be like kind of you know delivered, um, you know, like efficient uh, in a in a most efficient manner? Um, I think one of the things in, in Germany with the different whether it's the sixteen and sort of uh, Schweinsteiger holes, there's there's been a lot of things that have been going on for six seven years around sort of where they're trying to implement different policies. Uh, we've seen a lot of people pull out markets or you know I, I look at it and I think one of the things with, with what they're doing around the responsible gambling element where they're trying to put stuff around you know deposits over I think it's like a thousand pounds I think that they are putting the right policies and procedure for affordability I think that the, there's another decision which comes out uh, the first week in March or something where they're going to discuss it further but the, the, there's things in place which they have in there so I think 60% of the market at the moment is online um, but they're saying stuff that if you've gambled on a website and moved to another one within five minutes, um, you'll get blocked. Which to me, I can, I, I suppose I can see the long-winded way of the way they're thinking about is we're going to stop someone who's gone, gambled from there to gamble to there. They've got an addiction, but it's not. I gamble, I gamble on horse racing and football, and I'll bet on one site for my football and I'll bet on one site for my horse racing. And on a Saturday between the hours of 12 and 3, I'll do those bets and I'll move around and look at it. 
I'm not an I'm not an addict. You know, it, it, it's so is something like that. Is that taking the rights of a person away from them, getting the best deal on on doing something? I, I don't I don't know. It's, well, I mean, and also the, the, there's this you know discussion about obviously the, the alignment um, going to the uh, AML law, which is obviously on the current one in Germany, uh, which obviously would mean that uh, then every every operator would have to do the video verification yeah. or indeed in do a um, um, you know do a shufa check. So uh, uh, and essentially, so we we have a little bit of an um, insider on on, uh, um, on, um, on kind of the German side, and he sent me like kind of the you know the things that you know essentially have. Been, have been discussed so um you know essentially um a person would be limited to 1000 euros uh, per month and so they wouldn't be able to deposit more than 1000 euros per month uh, that would be uh, um that would be uh, one of the things um at the same time you wouldn't be able to uh, be logged in at uh, multiple yeah. um sports books or online casinos at the same time so you'd only be allowed to be uh, logged in at one i mean how how they want to do that uh with uh, the obviously times of vpn <laughs> that's, that's going to be very tricky uh, uh, yeah good luck with that um, they want to uh, do a ban on uh live um betting so there wouldn't be any any live betting allowed uh, and also, uh, there would be a um, advertising ban for from the hours of six a.m. till eleven p.m. So um, that would essentially uh, there would essentially be no um, gambling ads whatsoever. And then also, um, the online casinos would be absolutely banned from everywhere in Germany. So not only uh, not only um, in the fifteen states apart from Schleswig-Holstein, but also Schleswig-Holstein. So and that, and that's the point. Sixty percent of the gambling in Germany comes from online. So all you're going to start doing is you're going to start driving stuff to black markets, underground markets, and where they're trying to do with things with affordability by saying to people, you can only spend a thousand pounds online a month. Okay, well they'll do that online, and then they'll go somewhere else and they'll spend more money. Yeah, I think it's it's almost taking the um, approach that is is there any commercial you know viability for an operator to, to go there, there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and and would it be something that you would focus your attention on with them you know type of, of rules um, but it also begs the question of them people who will spend more than that how will they get around that system and is that going to be something that then operators have to mm-hmm. um are responsible for because then there's no you know there's no you know it's not just not viable in that sense so you know some of the initiatives are are good in 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 a sense but you know look at anyone look at any horse racing gambler or look at any football thing you you all compare prices you've got these sites that compare the prices for you why wouldn't you want eight to one instead of six to one you know that that's not that's not enticing that's not encouraging that's just business you know why would i go and you know buy a Buy my, I don't know, buy my tomatoes from somewhere for ten pounds, and but no, because I can't then go in. You know, I've been in Waitrose, I can't. Yeah, can't go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with ten pence. You know, yeah. no, sorry, yeah, so you're here. basically locked into into Waitrose. I don't know tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So went from toilet roll to tomatoes, and I thought it was better to say tomatoes. So, but no, it's like. At what point are we then taking the fun out of what is supposed to be an entertainment product? Because where's it, you know, if you look at, for example, the likes of the lotteries in the UK, lotteries used to be, online lotteries used to be for the lottery. Now you can do casinos, you can do this, you can do that. 
in Germany, is it going to be the same thing? The lotteries will obviously see it as a, as a good market because they can still do online. Are they going to start putting all these slots and things on there? It, uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I personally see see lotteries uh, very, um, very problematic anyway because there's too much interest from the from the state side anyway. I mean, if you if you look, I, I mean, we talk about you know responsible gambling and about advertising and stuff like that. And what I've seen, what was happening in Spain over Christmas uh, uh, last year, so the, so they were doing essentially like the lottery, you know, draws like you know, drawing the numbers, and there was literally like twelve, thirteen-year-old kids like like doing that, and I was just like. Uh, imagine if in this case William Hill yeah. would would. Why do we have to use William Hill? <laughs> yeah, 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 let's say, uh, let's say, you know, imagine, <laughs> or, or imagine if operator X Y Z would let's say have you know some kids in the advert for whatever reasons you know because let's face it if if an operator would have an advert that's kind of like you know going into. Um, into like addiction, into you know showing people why. I mean, I thought you know Betway had a really great advert with like kind of where they were were like you know having a kebab or whatever and just putting some uh, uh, money. I think was like on a Colombia game or whatever and just you know transformed in the in the in a sports studio and and they were like asking why why are you betting on this game? You don't know you don't know anything about it. Like like just leave it be and whatever. So but but you know operators would be absolutely criticised to to absolute nonsense mm -hmm. for it and. And lotteries, no one really cares because it'd be seen as targeting. If 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 we're saying that we want to educate the younger um, age groups better about what gambling is, that's it would be seen in the media as enticing. So it's a very fine line between how you educate people who are becoming of an age to gamble. I mean, you have sex education in school, you know at the point of they're far too young to have sex, but you'd have it so it's embedded yeah. in their brain, you know, of what, you know, is why and what's wrong and, and you know, what what stuff is and all that yeah. stuff. But if, if if a gambling company went into school to educate on, on problem gambling, oh it'd be God. seen as oh enticing. Christ. No, but it would. It would be seen yeah, as enticing. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I know. It would. But, then, but then are we getting to that point? I, I don't think we're quite there, but if, if we're going to put all of this stuff in play, then should you have someone from Smirnoff going in and talking about the problems of vodka? Because to be honest, you know, more people get in trouble with probably drinking that than they might on a, on, on gambling. So it's it's a very fine it's a very fine line between you know more. It's, we're talking morals here, aren't we? Mm. We're talking moral code lines, and everyone has a different moral line. Um, and as operators, all we can do is is you know is is try and meet that expectation as best we can and ensure that people aren't harmed and that nobody is harmed you know yes. similar to what you do with you know keeping crime out of gambling you know it's the same principle is it foolproof no is it are we trying to strive to have 100 percent? of course we are um you know it's it's a fine it's a i fine think balance. it's a tricky one as you know sort of look at it now when i well, go back 10 years ago the things that we can do on technology now is it's came on leaps and bounds. It is the technology of gambling operators, retail and everything. They're trying to work around our life pattern and how we work. We go to work early. We come back late. We've got to feed our kids. We've got to take them to school. We've got to take them to the after school. Everyone wants a service like that. Like Steve said, there's not the silver bullet that's out there, but we're trying to deal and cope with as much as we possibly can. Are there improvements? 100%. As technology gets better, it will deal with that. But there's, you know, th there's gaps everywhere. In a the gambling, they're saying, how do you pull together a sort of the retail environment, the on right, online 
you can do that now. The omni channels are pulled in. But it's the same thing if my wife shops on eBay, how does Debenhams or Next? I don't know she doesn't shop at Debenhams, I don't think. Uh, you know, how do these. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do they know what she shopped on eBay compared to the other ones? It's, it, you know, it's. Yeah. There's so many different challenges that we have in the online environment from different aspects to try and put all together. It's a needle in a haystack. Um, <clears throat> and then going into, uh, I guess, a little bit more more relaxed things from from uh, this uh, whole regulatory, uh, you know, discussion. I think obviously, you know, Stephen, whilst we have you here, um, what I wanted to to ask, and obviously just just on maybe your vision, obviously you uh, your company's vision. Um, how, how would you build your AML team? I mean, what what's the kind of you know people that you bring in? What's the kind of you know principles that you have, uh, you know, within your team when when you obviously you know, build a team? I mean, what what are kind of the uh, you know the measures that you put in place? As yeah, well? I think it, it depends on what what type of operator you're working in. If you're working in a you know a, almost I won't say a single license, but an operator that very much has like a um, essential function of say for example AML then you want to be you know you you, you want to be building a knowledge base of your staff that I, I wouldn't necessarily go and look at specific gaming people anymore um, you know you need that you need that expertise you need that knowledge of product and but that can be taught but it, you know I moved from the financial services you know five years ago um, and that's actually given me a lot more um, information that i needed of where the challenges have where the, the gaming space has gone um I, I think you know where we are at william hill you know we're, we're firm believers are behind a freelancer defense model you know we have divisions we have a, a retail network we have a, a uk online we have a international um and, and it's very much ensuring that then businesses have the expertise within their divisions in order to be able to manage what their risk is. You know, UK market is very different to Spain, Italy, you know, Sweden, Malta. So, you know, it's ensuring that you have the right expertise, you have accountability, responsibility within not just, and, and, and I think this is the big message, it's not just about having accountability and responsibility for your MLRO or your nominated officer or your head of AML or your head of RG. It's about ensuring that your local management of them functions have that culture. Um, you're not going to achieve anything if if you've got a, you could have the best five AML people in the world sitting in a business, but if you've not built a culture and you've not got your senior management and your board on side, then you're never going to achieve anything. And I think it's about that top to bottom um, approach. I think in the past for me, you know, key challenges have been having people, um, I think we're moving away from that textbook compliance world. You know, uh, could I recite every single law that's out there in AML? No, I couldn't. But I can pick that up. If someone asks me a question around a, a specific market, I can pick that up, you know, and, and read it. But can I have a relationship with, you know, like we were speaking earlier with VRPs, have you got the relationship with the relationship managers that you're embedding that culture that when you're having conversations, they're picking up on what is important, what's not. You know, your training programs, your, you know, your need for just striving to be better. Um, and that's striving to be better anywhere in your business, you know, Compliance in the past has always been seen as a, a yes no function, and I like to think where I've worked. Yeah, and there's and a little bit of, of like kind of like a burden that's yeah, there on the side. You know, you know, like it's that. not a tick box exercise anymore. If, if actually doing compliance right, doing AML right, can actually be very commercially beneficial for you. And I think that mm -hmm. more and more companies, not just in in the gambling world, but in in in, in all sort of life, are starting to understand that you know 
it's not a tick box exercise actually is it's not about saying can we do this yes or no mm -hmm. it's about how do we do this in a way where we minimize risk and is that risk acceptable to our board not saying you know oh your compliant your head of compliance said no because he doesn't like it and i think that's that's a, a big shift um and i think you know as we start you know developing internally individuals as well you know i would always look at have we got people in other parts of our business that actually have um a cultural aspect of their their work and and that they're believing you know you don't have to be a gambler to be able to understand what what goes on in a gambling um company but it's about being able to build on a culture that suggests you know, it's not about, it's, it's almost not about right or wrong. Get, AML is very straightforward, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of confusion in the industry at the moment of what AML is. AML is about the fact that are we keeping a crime out of gambling, yes or no. Yeah. That, But it doesn't mean that if you don't know, you have to go so far one way that you stop commercial business and your commercial managers are all over you saying, well, why are you shutting every person down? You know, actually doing better AML, you should actually have more focus on suspicion and potential elements of it rather than looking at everyone are you are you supporting stuff with automation and also technology to help with this because it gets to anything you can't throw people at it because things can happen before someone's even had time to look yeah at i it, think technology it? plays the key in this is that it, if you're if you've got a million customers and you've got 10 aml professionals for example they don't better look at all of them. Yeah. So what risk rules are you setting and appetite are you setting to actually that that individual who's there for a specific reason and their expertise can focus their time on that one case? I don't want my AML, you know, officers, etc., having to spend, you know, on the clock, you know, oh, I can only do 30 seconds on this one because I've yeah. got another 100 in a queue. And, yeah, only technology and that's the wrong approach. And, yeah. and, yeah. and, and, and I guess if you, if you watched... Um, uh, sorry, obviously, to, to interrupt you there, but if you watch an example like Dirty Money on 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 Netflix, like you, you will exactly see how maybe financial. I mean, without naming a bank here, but how it works with banks, right? You know, yeah, you know because all the people put on their CV how much they want <laughs> in an hour, but that's where they've been working. And you know, like the employees, yeah. like an example, only have one and a half minutes, I believe, to yeah. look through their whole financial file. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah. I'd rather have. A, I'd rather have a, a small amount of people that had more time to look at where your problem was than mm -hmm. look at than have a, a hundred people yeah. and <clears throat> looking at everything for thirty seconds because the technology is the key. you set your appetite and you set your appetite within a within a range and then what you're saying is that yes we are we are acceptant of the fact that this isn't necessarily foolproof however this gives us the best chance yep. That's what risk appetite is. Yeah, you're accepting some risk. You're putting controls in place, and you're managing that risk. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other, I think the other key, the key elements of it is, and something that I personally, you know, have always um, believed in myself is that I, you know, I've got quite a nice title where I work. It's a nice title, but it doesn't mean I won't, I, I should be treated any different to anyone else. And you know, managing you know upwards and managing downwards it doesn't really matter and in our industry i think it's a perfect example of where that blend mixes you know if you enter into a banking world you know there's more private offices there's more you know a lot of operators open plan offices everyone's approachable everyone can have them conversations you know 
everyone is in it together. And I think that's what makes our industry special in a sense that we're not, we're not, it's, it's not so hierarchy as some of these other, other industries. And, and, you know, I think that for me, I feel like as a person, you should be, you know, able to, you know, just get stuck in as well. You know, it's, it's, it's tough times, you know, re regulatory pressure, you know, commercial pressures, you know, it's and tough. Cross times. compliance. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, cross compliance key. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I could probably sit and say not every meeting I'm in relates to HML. Of course it doesn't. You know, you've got RG affordability, licensing conditions, regulatory matters, operational matters. I'm not there just as, you know, Steve Armstrong AML. You know, there's more to that. And I think that as compliance, as AML gets embedded into a business, that becomes apparent because you're not just having, you know, yeah, you need that specialist knowledge. You need that decision-making, you know, um, experience. But actually, you also need people who can, you know, understand regulation and apply that in a logical matter. And I think I think that's the thing where the likes of the LCCP and Neil MacArthur, I think that's what they're very much talking around. These sort of risk policies, you know, the thresholds that when this happens, something needs to happen. I think that's where they're really pushing now that some businesses who don't have this in place need to have it in place. Because one, does it not only help, it makes the job a hell of a lot easier for you as well. Like if you're, if, you know, if you're setting these thresholds and then the people who are good at their job, they're dealing with it when things happen. And again, using technology and things like that, it can support the process and help. But there's still a, there's still a thing. I mean, if you, if you look at, you know, questions that get asked, you know, when we go through maybe third party agreements or, you know, banking relationships, how many compliance staff do you have? That question is still there on every sheet that you can look at. It's not relevant. You know, mm -hmm. I'd rather them ask me how am I managing AML risk than ask me how many bodies I'm throwing at it. Because I could throw, you know, 3,000 bodies at it, but if I've not got the right technology, the right thresholds, yeah. the right yes, risk correct. management, yeah, yeah. then I'm yeah. never going to find the right thing. So actually, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like because of what happened in the banking world, and like you say, with, with you know, the bank we won't name, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it very much is, well, let's put 50 people on it, and that means it's right, but actually it's not. It's not, it's not yeah. at all. Yeah, it's not because, you know, like you said, and it's quite refreshing to hear that, you know, you have to have the right culture from the get-go, and you have to have a certain base of, uh, and again, you know, very refreshing to hear. You have to have the right technology and the right kind of, you know, people behind it. Because in the end of the day, if you do, if let's say it, it doesn't matter if you have ten thousand people working on it manually, or if you have technology and ten people. Because in the end of the day, it's the same result, but one of the, but one of them is more sustainable than the other yeah. and a lot easier to manage for you. Because, Culture is the yeah. ultimate key to all of this. Yeah. Now, if it's affordability, RG, AML. Um, when I first joined William Hill, you know. I think I was driving people mad with the amount of times I used that word because that's what it's about. It's 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 not my job solely to protect William Hill. It's not the MLROs. It's not my local teams. It's not you know their job solely to say we are AML, therefore we are going to do this. Mm -hmm. It's about the whole business. If you get that mindset right, then everything improves. Yeah. And I think we, you know, at William Hill. You know, we're, we're well on the right path for that. You know, we do believe in a free lines of defence. It gives us assurance. It gives us a level of comfort in a sense of that, you know, we're long on that days where you should have someone in your business that that sole person is responsible. And if yeah. it fails, then that person is held account. It, it's, you know, everyone has an accountability from, you know, your first line, be it a customer service, be it a shop manager, be it a shop assistant, be it, you know, all the way through to, 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 to a board member has has the 
you know, has the um, accountability and responsibility to ensure that the culture of William Hill is the right culture in order that we are, you know, offering the right products. We are offering in a fair and transparent way that we're keeping crime out of gambling, that, you know, affordability, all of this stuff and, and culture is the key. And I feel as an industry, we are, that is a good news story because, you know, it's very rare you'd walk into any operator now and, you know, back in the day, long, you know, long before probably I was in the industry, you know, I hear stories from people where it's like, you know, people just just chuckle at the thought of it. And, and we're not there anymore. And I feel like, you know, everyone's aware of it. Everyone embeds it. Let's start selling that. Yeah. You can even go, even go back like six, seven years ago. You talk to people around sort of KYC and AML and you'd have people, oh, yeah, we use a postcode lookup. Okay. And? Yeah, that's, it's it's a form of AML. No, it's not. It's, yeah. Yeah, 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 but you know, it, it it has come on so much. And it education's really, really, better now. Yes. I mean, education. You look at induction programs. You look at you know um, learning, etc. And and what's out there on the market now. That focus of educating your staff, not just the investment put in by companies to invest all to, to invest in all staff understanding AML and RG is is so significant now whereas before yeah. it would be you work in aml you can have aml yeah. training you work in rg you can have rg training people, people yeah. used no longer to be, like that is people it? Yeah. used to be scared didn't they when someone had hit a threshold or something they didn't want to say to the person how can you afford this people now know why they're doing it you know they're trying to it's not just trying to protect the business it's actually trying to protect the players and when you look at like you look at for example transaction monitoring you look at monitoring as a function so so going back to your original question i know we keep we keep going way beyond it but if you look at you know actually my best line of defense in william hill is is the staff because they're going to read what they're seeing they're going to see the systems they're going to be able to understand it they're going to be able to understand and therefore educating them on what their account what their responsibility is uh, you know raising a SAR you know raising just just having that question mm. or asking that question I think back in the day you'd probably be you know maybe criticized for it in a way maybe you know oh no should i ask this question because you know commercially mm -hmm. this isn't that, that doesn't even cross yeah. the path anymore you know the commercial guys in william hill are already making them decisions before someone like myself has to get involved and that's because we've educated and because there's the culture there it's probably you the know, other way now isn't it people it are is. more they're more you know there, there could be times where people ask are we allowed to you know, or oh, is this okay? You know, rather than, oh, you know, I should raise it just because I'm told to. Do you know what I mean? They actually understand beyond it. So when you get a group of people in together, you might have your head of AML, head of RG, you know, head of VIP, key account management, whatever it is. You know, they're all talking the same language now. There's none of this, you know, oh, yeah. but this is commercially and good. Let's just do it. There's none of that anymore. I mean, how important are people like, um, I mean, obviously within um, William Hill be Lindsay Wright. I mean, how, how important are people like her that kind of bring that kind of whole message from a corporate to to like the whole teams? Is is that kind of a key point why uh, why operators keep like kind of having that kind of, you know, sustainability message? Yeah, um, yeah it's strategy. It's, it's built, it's embedded into our objectives. You know, we can't meet our objectives unless we're, you know, achieving that level of, of, of you know compliance for example so mm -hmm. it, it's embedded in the fact that in order for William Hill to be a success doesn't just have to be you know obviously we want to ensure that we have a good year commercially but it doesn't necessarily it's not all about that anymore and I think that's the big shift industry-wide yeah. and, and the fact that 
you know, this stuff isn't cheap to do. You know, I know you're laughing, Adam, <laughs> um, but it's not cheap to do. And it's it, we're investing in a way that, you know, probably the industry hasn't done before, you know, not just in technology, but in people. You know, we're going out to other industries and trying to find the best talent in order that we can learn from it and we can, you know, develop as an industry. And the fact that them industry people now get together and discuss it more often is only a positive. In my I think eyes. it's definitely the, you know, it used to be the ways where it was about using cheapest data as possible and minimum amount to sort of tick a box. And now it's not. You, you can see they're using internal people, they're using technology, they're using information that they can get hold of. And they're trying to paint as better pictures as they can of each customer as they're coming through. And and I think the verification, you know, registration is a key, is a key piece to this. How people and how organizations have managed that is the fact that we've we've effectively doing it before we've even got any money through yep. the door. So that shows how seriously we're taking it. We're not saying, oh, we'll wait until someone spends something. We're actually doing it pre. So you're effectively already in a negative. Mm. And what's so then, that? What's it? Um, 40% from registrations and deposits? Yeah, yeah like depending on, yeah, yeah, pretty much. So you're actually committing to that and, and the cost before we've even begun. So then to be called irresponsible for certain things, it's like, well, you know, before I before I deposit, you know, I, I can't remember what, what, what I was looking at the other day, it was one of these online savings accounts and you have to deposit, you know, a hundred pound in it before you even start. But that's probably to cover the fact that some of their costs will be yep. there. But why am I not getting that level? <laughs> and I did, uh, and I did, uh, and I can tell you, I did the exact thing because before we bought a house, I wanted to set up a lifetime ISA because there was like a special, you know, percentage that you could get, you know, from the government to, to, to buy a house. And, and when I wanted to set it up and, and, and I said, I want to, you know, save, you know, so and so much, uh, you know, money by this time, I had to literally deposit 250 pounds, <laughs> like right away before they even opened the account. And I said, nah, I'm not doing that. So I just, you know, basically open it. I think that's part <clears> of it. It's, it's, but again, it comes back to probably what we spoke about at the start, which is if we're not promoting the good stuff that goes on in the industry then the bad stuff's going to yeah, take yeah. over and actually the good does away the bad and as much as you know certain yeah, but outlets yeah. and stuff it, it, there is very good there is a lot of good news and, and there's people in this industry who do care and do want to progress it and do want to drive it forward and and you know we just need to probably be more open to you know being more positive and and, and discussing the good things we're doing rather than mm. always waiting for something bad to happen and defend yeah. it and you know, but I think you'll always you know run against the same because it's it's you know for the paper based media is always the same, you know something negative or tragedy will always sell better than a good story, right? So no, of course, uh, and yeah. I think I think that you know what what every operator is is committing to you know look at William Hill's nobody harm campaign is that you know that is the ultimate aim you know that is the you know the 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 key messages is to ensure that we do do better we we are holding ourselves to account in terms of you know i hold myself to account working for someone like william hill i'm not just working for william hill and going well you know i work in aml that's not my responsibility it's every member of staff's mm. responsibility um and these campaigns are only going to drive us to all do better and and you know get 
Adam was touching earlier, you know, one operator might do something that others won't. And I think that's also the message we start need to promote is the fact that, you know, the members of the GMLG and all of the the BGC committees now, you know, we're all committing to that. If if other operators aren't doing that, then we do need to find that definition at some point. There are are some things when you talk around uh, um, self-exclusion or responsible gambling tools, there's no uniform approach. So there's some people who are doing certain th- stuff and there's others that aren't. Whereas yeah, if you... it was made a uniform, th- there are, I think there are some things where you have to let common sense prevail with operators that they know what they're doing and you do have to say, mm. right, as long as you're within this and you're doing it, it's fine. But then I do think there are other things where you do have to put approach in which is saying, okay, we might be treating you like kids, but these are the 10 things that you have to do. And at least then an operator can sit them. And it is a tick box exercise, mm. but at least they can say, right, well, we have done that and we have met these criteria. But then in the end of the day, as, <laughs> as discussed previously as well, it's it's the regulator's job to enforce these things, to to uh, to push those things, like an example, self-exclusion list, to have a norm in there and make make just make it easier, not not only for the people who want to prevent themselves from, from, from gambling, but also for operators to do the right things and how the public maybe want it right so it, it's just and enough today that there's always i guess you know two sides of uh, you know of the medal or whatever you want to call it where essentially those things would have to be kind of enforced in a in a way with consultation with the operators i would say but it's it's finding that balance between yeah. a yeah, correct, rule-based uh, regime and a risk yeah risk-based regime yeah. And, and ultimately if there are certain elements that it you know an operator is allowed to you know, approach it in a way. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong, if that makes sense. It's more about their views on what their appetite are. And, and whereas there are some things that, you know, are clearly no-nos, you know, and, and it's, mm. it's it, again, it's how far do we get to a point where we're actually dealing with a moral line, not a risk line. Yeah. I think that's where we're in the middle yeah. at the moment. Okay, I mean, uh, gentlemen, I mean, thanks so much for for, for uh, you know for coming today. Really, really enjoyed it today. Um, you know, thanks so much for all the input. Uh, I mean, I'll see you. I'll see you next week anyway, <laughs> or well, in half an hour. Don't but but that um, would that be said but uh, yeah I mean again you know thanks so much for coming uh, I hope you enjoyed it today um, um, and um, yeah I mean next week is is obviously I so you know really looking forward to that one um, I mean uh, you know myself uh, I'm there with my company we also have a we also have a camera microphone there so doing a little bit of uh, snap interviews and whatever just put a nice snippet together to have as many as many different uh, 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 you know, kind of opinions on various topics. I mean, uh, one topic that we didn't touch on, and 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 I just left it out on purpose was, and I don't know if you heard it was uh, was the interview about uh, with Anne Frank saying that we we should um, or that you know employers should uh, you know forbid like uh, like football banter in the offices <laughs> yeah. because women. Uh, don't like football and that was out of her mouth but uh, uh, anyway but um, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean so uh, yeah we'll be the ice uh, next week uh, so hopefully um, see you there or in a day uh, when when this will be released um, and uh, yeah next episode will uh, absolutely take apart the loot box industry so we're really looking forward to that one because uh, you know talking about gambling and loot boxes is a little bit different so uh, yeah really looking forward to take apart that industry and uh, yeah again uh, you know thanks so much for coming cheers. and uh yeah thanks to all the subscribers and listeners see you next time cheers okay